bright suns, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, Star Wars podcast. We are here. It's 2021, the sequel to 2020, but you know, one of those sequels where they just shot them at the same time because they're basically the same thing. Uh, it's just a huge expansion. Um, I use the words bright sun. I use the words expansion. We're talking about Sims 4 off the air. I guess it's just uh, embedded now in my brain uh, with our guest who's been uh, spending her time in the middle of a snowstorm that has just hit, if you're listening to this, uh, around the time of its release. It's uh, hit uh, at various places throughout the East Coast. People are completely snowed in. It's frankly pretty ridiculous. I live, however, in Florida where there has never been nary an ounce of winter wonderland uh, bestowed upon us so that sucks for me but uh we are here of course to talk about star wars something that brings us joy at all times of the year uh, if you listen to the last couple episodes with uh, blythe kala and joseph scrimshaw some deep dives into the force and the character of obi-wan kenobi thanks so much for checking those out those were great conversations to have and again going very long on these on these topics and about stuff that is coming up with Deborah Chow's Kenobi show, different things like that. So there's a lot to go on, uh, to, to go on about in terms of the canon, in terms of projects and things like that. But the core of the show has always been interviewing the guests with their Star Wars journeys, with what they like in Star Wars, with what they do and how their perspectives um, influence their creativity in terms of Star Wars, in terms of what their favorite Star Wars stories and characters are. So we're going to do that today with somebody who has been on the show you go back to the Mandalorian season two reviews that we did with uh, chapter 13, the Jedi, we had our guest today on to discuss the debut of live action Ahsoka Tano to discuss that story with Din Djarin and Grogu and everything that happened in Dave Filoni's episode. And now she is back this time to talk about somebody uh, much closer to home than Din Djarin or Grogu. And that's because she's going to be talking about herself. And that is from uh, the Star Wars Friends side of things, she is also the host of her own Star Wars show, Let's Talk About Star Wars, on YouTube. This is uh, Maggie Lovett, a writer, an actor, a host, uh, an analyst, a critic, uh, does uh, tons of things. She probably bakes. I don't know. I do bake. <laughs> yeah, it so- sounds like something you would do. You bake, knit, does photo shoots. Yeah, I'm a, a Jill of all trades. <laughs> yeah, look at you. Look at you but- go. Thank you so much for having me back. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for coming back. Uh, love talking to you always on and off the air um, about a litany of things. You and I have very similar perspectives on on the business side of things as well in terms of how I think that there's not always an understanding sort of like how this process works and mm-hmm. especially in, t- in terms of how people break down this process. And so I've always loved talking to you about the actual filmmaking or in the case of what we've been dealing with most recently, uh, the television making and, and st- streaming making, it's weird. Um, but yeah, so we're, I'm excited to talk to you about sort of your whole journey, especially because your show, let's talk about Star Wars, is so personal. I mean, you're literally visually in your Star Wars corner, like as your show is being made, as you're breaking down these topics, everything that you do on the show comes from, I mean, you, you talk news, but you're you're talking about, the really personal connections, answering questions from your immediate perspective. You bring that over to Star Wars Friends as well. You bring it over to your writing on Your Money Geek, everything that you do, your reviews uh, of stuff. As we record this, we're in High Republic, um, you know, hype mode 
about everything that's coming out as the last couple of releases hit, like Into the Dark and uh, High Republic Adventures. You had a review of that issue up, which was great. So we, there's so much to talk about. We have to take it all the way back to the beginning um, before we end up on a tangent just about publishing, which will happen, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but so you're, you and I are, are similar in age, you know, mm-hmm. so that, that makes it easy to just be like, prequel child, but not necessarily because there's special editions, there's expanded universe novels, and you have such a vast knowledge of all that stuff. So take me back to your, your formative Star Wars experiences, um, which I'm sure will be interesting because you, you have a special bond with your mom, who's also a creative, mm-hmm. also is an industry professional like yourself. So how does this all start for you as a young girl, but also as an aspiring actress and all that stuff? So to go back to the beginning, a long time ago, um, in a galaxy far, far away, um, my dad was like, hey, I want to take you to this movie when I was like six years old. And I had no frame of reference for what Star Wars was, but I was already a Star Trek fan. And so anything sci-fi was like, okay, sure, I'll give it a try. So he took me to see Phantom Menace like opening weekend. And I kind of knew like what the premise of Star Wars was. My parents had seen it um, when it was originally in theaters. So I was like aware of the concept, but not really aware of what I was getting ready to see. And you'd think like a six-year-old would be like, oh, Anakin Skywalker, a relatable character. No, I instantly loved Qui-Gon Jinn and... Taste. We call <laughs> that <course>. taste. <laughs> of course. I lost him like in the same movie. So I come out of like the theaters and our movie theater was right next to a bookstore. So my mom went to the bookstore and my dad and I went to see the movie. And when he went over to see my mom, I had like tears running down my face and like snot. I was a very attractive six-year-old because I was so devastated by losing Qui-Gon Jinn. And my mom was like, I don't know if we should let you see more movies if this is how you're going to react. But we ended up seeing it again Um, because my mom was like, I guess I'll take you to see it too now. Um, And so we saw it like again. And then I was just hooked. Uh, We went to the bookstore and like picked up some Star Wars books because my mom knew that like the expanded universe existed. Mm -hmm. And so I started, I was fairly advanced in my reading for like a six-year-old. So I was like starting to read some of those books like right off the bat and just filled in that void between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones with Star Wars. And oh, I just loved it so much. There's something really interesting there in terms of, you know, we joke about how you, you, you go to Qui-Gon when the obvious you know, on a silver platter is, is Anakin and, and Jar Jar Banks for that mm-hmm. kid audience. But it's interesting that you say Qui-Gon within the context of having already been a Star Trek fan because you were, you know, just from the outsider's perspective with those two pieces of information, you were sort of conditioned to appreciate at a young age thoughtful, middle-aged Mm-hmm. heroes that were d- doing most of their um you know engaging with the universe through pontificating and talking and yeah, yeah Qui-Gon kicks ass but he is also there to provide the alt perspective on everything that you're seeing you know it's sort of in a, in a in a very universally aware type way in a way that is really Trek like Qui-Gon would probably have a blast if he could hop over to that universe and and sit and talk with like Jean-Luc Picard or oh, they get along so well. Yeah. Like, so that, that, that was, is that something that you think that you, you were doing even subconsciously as a kid was appreciating something more talky and thoughtful? Probably. 
um because i definitely liked those characters like picard was one of my favorite characters chakotay over on voyager was one of my favorite characters so those more cerebral characters and so yeah. that makes sense and then like jump over to lord of the rings which is around the same time a little bit later on and my favorite yeah. character was aragorn so right it makes right. sense that makes sense yeah yeah definitely a, a parallel situations happening there and i love that you mentioned voyager too star trek doesn't really come up a lot on this show and not out of a uh out of a dumb versus type thing because they are so different that that never even made sense to me aside from star being in their names but voyager was the one for me too where that that just like just captured me as a kid um and so it's cool to see now years later they're both booming on tv at the same time star wars and star trek uh, happy. are firing on all cylinders and so many projects so I and mean, it makes that's, me so yeah. happy to see so many of the Lucasfilm employees talking about Star Trek because, like, as a kid, like, there's always that weird, like, you have to choose one or the other. And I was yeah. like, mm, no, I'll take both, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so it's so nice to see that kind of, like, camaraderie between the two shows and you know, how they're succeeding so much. Star Trek was actually my first convention I ever went to for my uh, fourth, fourth birthday. My mom took me to a Star Trek convention, and I met Robert Beltran. That's met, amazing. Okay. That's amazing. And, and the fact that you could like, as a, as a four-year-old, even like contextualize like what a convention was, because some four-year-olds don't even realize that those actors are, are acting. Like they think it's still happening. <laughs> so funny. And it was so fun too, because there were a lot of other kids there because like, I don't know if that time period was like very much like full family groups going and dressing up. And so like, I have this memory of dancing with a little Klingon boy who was like my same age and was like in full Klingon clothes. Because they had like this after party that we went to. It was the wildest experience. It's the one that got away, Maggie. I know, that little Klingon boy. Where are you? <laughs> little, little Klingon boy is like the name of like your your first album. Like, like a, a really sappy <laughs> love oh album. God. What is it, like Trek Rock? <laughs> yeah, Trek Rock. Yeah, or or to, to put it back in, in Star Wars terms, my new favorite phrase, Wreck Punk. Oh uh, which when I got to Wreck Punk in, in Light of the Jedi, I was like, oh, yeah. That's Charles Soule being having his band. So happy. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so good. Uh, so let's let's keep keep going back from that that period because it's interesting. You mentioned we also had Lord of the Rings was coming. Mm -hmm. um, Harry Potter was booming uh, a couple of years after. You know, before Attack of the Clones, we we'd gotten Sorcerer's Stone, and then Chamber of Secrets and, and Clones were coming out together, and all of this stuff is happening at the same time. Is this what got you into fantasy, or do you think that you were already into fantasy as a really small child? Were you like a Disney toddler or things like that, that you had sort of a predilection toward the unreal? So I was a weird Disney child because I didn't really like any of the princess movies. My favorite Disney movies were like Lion King, Aristocats, Fox and the Hound, the, like the animal ones. Um, and then I didn't get into Harry Potter until the year before the final book came out. So like, mm. I had seen the movies, but I wasn't like into them. And then I like binged all the books. And then I went to like the midnight book release and like did that in like the final 11th hour. Um, but I've always liked sci-fi and I've always liked fantasy. And I was, I was an only child. So, and then I was homeschooled for most of my life. So everything that I did, I had to come up with like the story around me. And so I have just always really been inclined to holding on to these like fantasy worlds and like exploring them 
through stories and coming up with my own stories and like some of my favorite assignments as a kid was like add on a new chapter to a book or take mm. a scene and rewrite it and so I would do that with a lot of like my favorite properties so early fan fiction <laughs> that's interesting and do you have memories at all of Star Wars stuff that you created in your mind or things that you wrote down stuff like that oh yeah um i actually a couple months ago well, i guess a year ago now i found some of my old notebooks where i had like outlined characters and mm. um, a friend group i had when i was about 10 and i um we had this whole like all of us had characters and we came up with like character sheets for ourselves and like called each other by our code names and wore like padawan braids when we were at summer camp and one of them actually messaged me the other day and was like, oh, your pictures like reminded me of my character that we had when we were kids. And now we're like almost 30. And it's just, it's kind of fun to see that. And like, I was building X-wings and my shed out of like tomato cages and duct work and like duct tape and stuff, trying to create my own like Star, Star Wars ship. It didn't go well. My like my my nerd heart is just like, I'm so <laughs> warm listening to this. Like, and it's, it's like, it's so funny because it's not just like, yeah, we liked it. We played at the playground. It's like the it's the the, the building an X wing out of tomato cage. Like this is like such a uh, like a American like rural uh, <laughs> like true like it has a folkloric quality to it. Oh yeah. Uh, this is like this is like the the Star Wars story that they want. Like this that they that, mm -hmm. that they make Star Wars. They think about this stuff. Like some kid is out there is gonna build this and they're gonna go off to camp and tell a story and pick up a stick and pretend. Like, Oh yeah, we did duels and everything. Yeah, that that's fantastic. Though, what a time too. I mean, just the fact that I one thing that that's such a common thread, especially with people in our age group on the show, of getting into it then, is this idea that it had enough new with these three movies and and the surrounding books, but also that element of it was your parents' thing too. Mm -hmm. And how you were like, whoa, like these characters are the kids of these characters. Like that was a thing that nothing else was doing really at the time. Now yeah. everything has a sprawling mythos and everybody yeah. comes back old or, or we see young. Like we got, you know, to go to Trek again, we got the Kelvin timeline, young original series characters. Now we have Picard. What is everybody doing later? Uh, but Star Wars was the first thing that did that, where it was like, you want the history? Here you go. You want this? You can come back over to here to the present timeline. Um, what was your relationship like with going back and seeing, uh, you know, Harrison and Carrie and Mark and those original movies, especially as you started to grow into someone that wanted to work in the industry and sort of seeing that as like a film history thing? I know like for me personally, like connecting them with like, Wizard of Oz, like, oh, okay, like, so that was like Technicolor movies, and like, mm -hmm. this, this comes, you know, to here, and then we get, oh, and her mom is, her mom's a legendary actress, oh, okay, like, how, how did you put that all together, and sort of immerse yourself? Um, it was so fun to see them pop up in other properties, like, I, I loved Indiana Jones, so I love seeing Harrison Ford in that, and that was my frame of reference was already Indiana Jones, so then kind of being introduced to Harrison Ford as Han Solo, like instant love, loved him so much. Um, and I love like the, the, the smuggler, you know, vibe from him was like perfect for that era. But I, I wore out my VHSs of the original series once I started watching them. And then I got the DVDs and like the special edition DVDs later on. And 
it was it was just fun and I loved Carrie Fisher's mother I loved the movie Halloween Town and so I was very familiar with with her um, and it was just it was fun to see how they connect it and then of course with like Mark Hamill doing the voice of Joker and like I'm a Batman fan and like I love seeing them interconnected with other franchises that I already loved and you know when the force awakens happens uh like happened i i had a lot of reservations about it so i had kind of like i was never really in the star wars fandom and that two or three years in between i had like been really active on like aol chat boards when i was a kid and then like i grew up a little bit and like distanced myself from the the fandom and so i all i knew was that you know disney had bought Lucasfilm and that they had erased the expanded universe and I was not happy about that I will always call myself a bitter EU fan like I love the sequel trilogy and I love the characters and I love what they're doing but I will always miss the stories that I like had like those are like the only stories for Star Wars to be had for so long and so like right. Jaina and Jason and Anakin and Ben and like all those characters felt like friends and they felt very like warm and familiar and so it took a while for me to warm up to it and um I, I was just always so sad that we didn't get that you know sequel earlier on so that we could have seen some of those stories brought on screen but i love that they're starting to kind of pull in some of that mythos into the new canon yeah yeah and and again it's also like hours spent i mean the amount of time mm -hmm. that that the fandom overall spent with the twins and ben and anakin and Mara and Kyle Katarn and I mean you could just go on and on and on uh for hours listing all the characters I mean you Darth Revan you know is, is the big one the holy grail character oh, yeah. um <laughs> that, that everybody talks about uh, but yeah I mean it's it's such an interesting thing especially you as a storyteller like you having that balanced perspective um of someone who is a writer and who who does tell stories on screen and off um a lot of people have that that sadness and don't know sort of like how to compartmentalize it, but what you said there was interesting, which was something that I've said and that I agree with because of when they did this, those stories became impossible to, to just adapt. Like you couldn't have just mm -hmm. done them, you know? So it's like they, they did what they could with what they had, when they had it, if they had made these in the nineties, who knows what would have happened or if they'd made them in 2006, you know, right after Revenge of the Sith, we're going back now, maybe it could have, it could have been different, but, it was an interesting time for sure. I mean, those years um, where you're saying, you know, you weren't as active in fandom. Do you think that shocking as it may be that fandom was not a great place online for a young woman? Like, is that, it, it was it, not. <laughs> could that have been why you retreated during those <laughs> middle years? Oh yeah. Some of those early chat boards, like GeoCities and stuff, people were terrible. And like, I, I really liked HTML. Um, I like taught myself how to do like website coding when I was a kid. Mm. And so like, I would build like my own like fan sites and stuff and people were just so mean <laughs> for no reason. That breaks my heart. It's just, I mean, it's not surprising because you know, and because you're in the fandom and you, mm -hmm. you know, I've done <laughs> a, a bunch of these place. interviews. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's both beautiful and horrendous. It's like the, when it's good, it's good. You know, like I was talking to, uh, our, our mutual friend Candace uh, over mm -hmm. from from Geeky Waffle, and we we were talking uh, the other day, just having a conversation about the fandom, and we were like, "Man, when you find your tribe or you find like-minded individuals, it is unlike anything else." I mean, mm -hmm. I go on about the Star Wars celebration effect 
which I know you haven't been to a Star Wars celebration yet, which no. is, the, is the other thing. I, the other reason I want to, you know, burn COVID to the ground and, and destroy it and banish it into the shadow realm for for denying us a celebration no. this year. But the way I've always described that, and you'll have a religious experience when you go and I I can't wait I was gonna go to Chicago and then like I was working and it just like didn't happen yeah yeah you were you were on a series at the time right I think Mm -hmm. that we you mentioned that to me yeah and that that's the other thing we'll talk about we're gonna give to your acting in a second because it's fascinating to hear uh, actors talk about Star Wars um but yeah I mean it's just that in person no one has that it really is the anonymity of the internet that has that stokes these fires of, of stupidity and, and just of, of willful ignorance to a point. I mean, the actual hate is the actual hate and that's an irredeemable, like monstrous thing. And those people need to find the light truly in their lives. <laughs> um, and, and like, like the actual, like, like a racist bullies and things like that. can't do anything about that. No. Um, they just need to get right. But the people, you know, Oh, I hate Disney star Wars. And like, this sucks. And those people are still at the celebration. Like I, I remember I've told the story, I think on the air once or twice, but the rise of Skywalker teaser where Ray does the jump flip and everything. Mm-hmm. And the, the very first footage we ever saw of standing there at celebration, getting ready to watch the trailer. And a guy behind me is like, no matter what they do, man, Kathleen Kennedy still sucks. And he's like right behind me, like trying to be heard. And then Ray does the flip and you see Kylo running through the forest and uh, Billy D. Williams is there and he's piloting the Falcon. And then, uh at the end of the teaser i heard this guy go all right not gonna lie it was pretty cool like of course because you still love this thing you don't have to pretend like you don't and 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 that's what's good about having like actual conversations with people mm-hmm. uh you know twitter has sort of melted things down so i mean that's you were seeing that and so much of twitter is a performance these people yeah. get into groups of people and they feel like they have to keep up the pretense and mm-hmm. keep coming up with something new and shocking to keep the attention in their direction. It's just toxic. It's terrible. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's a horrible place. Um, so I'll see you on there later. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Neither of us will leave, but <laughs> it's like, look, we, we understand that we have a problem. All right. If you're listening yeah. to this, don't judge me. At the end, we're going to plug our Twitters. You're going to see us both on there. We'll be on there later today, probably in, in, in a matter of moments. Um, but let's talk, let's talk about, let's talk about the acting because that's, that's something that has always fascinated me. People can go back to believe it was episode 50 and this is episode 60. So 10 episodes ago, we had a Grace Hancock on who's also an actor and we talked about the acting of Star Wars and, and sort of genre acting and how sort of her experiences have been informed in a lot of ways. Um, uh, her viewing experiences have been informed by her professional experience, but she became mm-hmm. a Star Wars fan uh, early on in her life as well. And I'm curious for you, what role things like Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings played in you wanting to be an industry professional, uh, or if it was more of a, it was already in your family, because I know your mom is as well. Talk to me about sort of that that journey, and and then we'll get into some favorites, uh, some performances, and some some moments as well. I have always wanted to be an actor. I've always wanted to be in the film industry. Um, I actually have some footage of myself when I was like three talking about wanting to be on TV. And then again, when I was six, um, I have so many home videos of me putting on like my own little shows and coming up with like little dramas with like the old fashioned camcorder um, and like doing weather reports and like news stories. And like, I was always very into wanting to be seen on TV. 
Um, so it really was no surprise that that's kind of where I ended up, but it wasn't like a normal journey to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always say that I feel like I had to do other things to get myself back into the place where like, I truly want it to be. Um, so like I ended up going to school for historic preservation. I have a degree in that I'm getting my graduate degree in anthropology. So obviously neither of those things are very like acting minded. Um, but even on my college application for the historic preservation degree, I talked about how I wanted to uh, use my interest in acting to present history. And I wanted to do like reenacting kind of stuff and like dramatizing to help people find history to be more accessible for themselves. So even then I was like trying to find a way and I did acting. Um, I started community college when I was 16 and I took acting classes there and directing classes and writing classes to try to hone those skills, even though I knew I wasn't going to do it mm. when I went to university. Um, and I just, it was so funny too, because like I tried to do acting at my university and the acting department was not great. I mean, they have fantastic performers that have come out of it and they're like on Broadway and they're like really wonderful people, but it was not a fit for me. So I was like very early on, very discouraged because I was like, I guess I'm just never going to do this acting thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just, it kind of happened like this area where I live, um, a lot of shows are filmed here. And we actually have three productions filming right now, which I'm not going to be part of because of COVID. And I just, I don't trust them, but you know, House of Cards was filmed here. And there was a couple times that I tried to do um, some background work on House of Cards just to like get the experience. And the job that I had before um, at a museum didn't really allow for me to just like take off randomly. So mm. I was never able to do it. And then like, finally, like I quit at that job and I was like, I'm just going to do it. So I, I jumped on like the first open call that I saw for a TV show called The Enemy Within. And I was honestly one of the worst days on set that I've ever had. It was like 20 degrees. We were playing for summer. It was outside by the reflecting pool in DC. So like the wind chill coming off the water, wow. so cold. They didn't have enough food for everybody because there was like more extras than they had planned for. And it was, it was a nightmare. Um, but a bad day on set is a good day, like is still a good day. Um, so I started, you know, signing up for more background work and I did House of Cards a few weeks later, which led to Wonder Woman 1984. Um, and I just haven't stopped, um, you know, except for COVID. I, I've worked on a couple like true crime recreation things, which are great because um, it's like fantastic material for your reel. It is constantly mm -hmm. on air. And I've had so many people like message me on Instagram and they're like, oh, I saw your episode on Discovery today. Like you were great. And it's like so weird for like people to like see something you work in and then like message you and like talk to you. And um, it's just, it's been such an experience. And then like segueing into entertainment journalism was also something I always wanted to do. So I had like this long list of things I wanted to do as a kid. And somehow yeah. I've managed to do like nine out of 10. <laughs> That's amazing. And then, you know, the last thing obviously is uh, be Indiana Jane because that's that's what it sounds like yes. you're, you're building toward with all of your all of your skills and interests. Like as you described, because I, I knew you were you're studying anthropology because you and I have had uh, that George Lucas conversation before. Mm -hmm. Which how fitting is that? I mean, yes. in, ter in terms of like what made us friends with Star Wars and the fact that you're walking the George path as well. But the just your the fact that it goes back to Harrison and Indy uh, for some of your formative viewing experiences, and then you have this preservation background. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, you know, doing the acting and everything like 
they just they should just have Harrison just pass the torch to to, his, to his daughter. <laughs> Forget Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, like, why does he have a son? It should be yeah, a daughter. Yeah, we don't need him. No, exactly. exactly. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Um, and what's you know you mentioned the entertainment journalism, um, which is something that we both have experience in. I've sort mm-hmm. of given up the, the 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 review writing, although I every now and then I, I, I threaten to like do like more reviews and stuff. And, you know, I, I started reviewing comics, you know, it was my big thing. I was reviewing mm-hmm. comics on websites all throughout high school. And I was reviewing movies for the radio station for iHeartRadio um, and, and doing things like that on air and, and on the page and stuff. And it, it is interesting because it fosters, the community fosters such a, a binary mentality, you know, of everything is great or it sucks. And, mm-hmm. and which is something that I hate and I resent. And I even started like rebelling, like when I would write reviews for websites and I would say, I, I refuse to give it a, a letter grade or a number. Like you will read the thoughts and then that, that you, That's will, how I feel. you will engage with the material I've given you. You're not going to scroll down and be like eight out of 10 and then bounce. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that a lot of that, and you know, you just agreed um, a lot of that comes from an understanding, I think, of the process. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure that your experiences being on sets has changed the way that you break things down in a lot of ways and oh, has yeah. and has brought uh, a new light and not a not like a like a not tenderness or kindness. Like you're not gonna suddenly like something you just don't like. It's not gonna happen. But mm-hmm. it is sort of a I think it was uh it was Drew McQueenie. Um, who's one of my favorite critics that said, you know, it's just as hard to make a bad movie as it is to make a good one. Yep. And, and every single person is still giving it their all and doing it for the love. So how has that sort of changed your, your perceptions and your into entertainment journalism and, and even in, into the Star Wars stuff that, that, you, that you don't like? Because you and I disagree on some Star Wars stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you, you do not like episode nine, <laughs> but you're also not like having like, a, a rage fit every day about episode nine yeah. because you probably like it gives me anxiety to think about it gives me anxiety to think about running my own day let alone running a multi-million dollar production so talk a little bit about how that's changed the way that you're breaking things down it's so hard to be hypercritical of anything because i just spend my entire time thinking about like how much went into making the movie and how many sleepless nights these people had and how many like 15 hour days they worked with. And I, I really struggled to be like super critical of anything. Like I do have to do a number grade and it's usually like eight to like eight to 10 for everything because I feel so bad. I like don't want to like hurt anyone's feelings. And I like, I read a book here recently, not Star Wars. That was honestly one of the worst books I've ever read. And I was like, well, I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to give it a review and I'm going to try to be like, this is what worked and like not tear it apart. Like I see so many people who just seem to take joy and like ripping somebody to pieces. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just not kind. I mean, I really struggled saying the negative reviews about Wonder Woman, um, which I, there was plenty of things that, are a hundred percent like should be discussed because there were definitely things that were like not the best mm-hmm. um, about the movie, but some people were just like unnecessarily mean about it. And I was like, do you have any idea how much work went into that movie? <laughs> Cause like, yeah. I know I worked 30 days on it. I got probably 40 hours of sleep across all 30 days. Um, and it's just to see how easy it is for people who sit and watch a movie 
and aren't actually making the movies and aren't fully aware of just how much work it is to just be like, this is terrible. And here's all the reasons why that I gave absolutely no, no nuance to my review. Yeah. And so I try to approach things with that. Like I've been in their shoes. I know how it feels. It's a lot of work and usually your hands are tied. So like a bad movie is either the writer just didn't mix right or the director wasn't giving the right direction or mm -hmm. somewhere along the way something went wrong and it's not one person's fault or a group of people's fault it's just like the the process wasn't working and so i try to i try not to be mean because i always i come at reviews and i come at like analysis analysis it was analysis i believe <laughs> analysis yes um <laughs> i try to Flat come at it <laughs> how I would want to read something and like yeah. how I would feel because I've, I've written a book. I've, you know, worked on screenplays. I've worked on pilots of like, I've, I've been in those shoes. And so yeah. I feel like that's, I try to be nuanced. Yeah. I think that nuances is definitely um, should be the word of the year and of the decade. I think for everybody online mm -hmm. uh, to, to embrace it and to find sort of a, um, just a middle ground not and again not saying anyone has to have any sort of opinion but it's just the idea of some critics grade from like a zero and the movie has to earn a 10 mm -hmm. like, and they they come in arms crossed and to me i'm sort of flipping that in my mind and i imagine a movie is already a 10 and then i could be like oh that didn't really work that didn't really work but i want it to succeed the entire time because it's my time in mm -hmm. my life of course, I want it to succeed. Um, so, you know, I think that's why I resent all arguments of, you know, uh, Game of Thrones season eight wasted the, it ruined the entire show or Luke and the Mandalorian ruined Din's whole arc or, you know, or Wonder Woman 84, like, oh, they had such a good thing going and now I don't care about Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman anymore. Are you crazy? Like, it, the fact that, like, that tells me that, you, that your love for it was already in question. Yes know that you were you came in with a preconceived notion because like did i think that wonder woman 84 was all that not really but did i have fun with parts of it i absolutely did and the yeah. first thing i said when i talked about it was gal gadot is a star She's like amazing. and she is magnetic and there's so much fun happening and does did the story come together for me and parts it did and parts it didn't but i i'm still gonna see the third one and i and i want to know because i care about the people that are working on it and there's way more going on and in terms of star wars you know people are listening to this they're like talk about star wars I, i'll talk about whatever i want internet people how about that uh we're, we're, we're talking about art damn it um in terms of star wars it's interesting because it people forget now i mean because now they have kathleen kennedy to, to hate even though they don't understand target. her job at all yeah they forget how they also treated george terrible and, yeah horrible treatment of this man and for over a decade um, from 1999 to 2015, when they had new ones to hate, Star Wars was, there's good ones, and everything else sucks. It was the three good ones, and mm -hmm. then we had the three bad ones. And that's how it always lived for a long time, for a decade. From 2005 to 2015, it was, oh, there's, there's those shitty ones, and then the original trilogy. Uh, so Star Wars is an interesting, is an interesting thing to love and engage with because it forces people to have sort of this reappraisal mentality mm -hmm. and the prequel Renaissance, I think will come for all things. And, yeah. and I know that us being prequel kids and, and you being 
a fan of a lot of those characters. Um, a lot of that, I mean, you, you, you've posted, I think the photos before you and the Padawan braid and things yeah. like that, like that, that, that you talked about in your story, like that type of stuff, being able to find um, its place and for people to welcome that stuff home and welcome it into their hearts and show it now to their kids that, that people already mm-hmm. are having children and saying, you know, this was my star Wars. And, and of course the clone wars, all of that stuff really does show how art is a relationship like you really like you have to date and love this thing and you're gonna have your days just like you would with a romantic partner like mm-hmm. th- I really do feel like that's the perfect metaphor like oh you, you pissed me off today but I still I still want to snuggle Star Wars like yeah yeah like this why, why, would, why would that change that's how I felt after the rise of Skywalker like I was really disappointed like I went yeah. through a phase from December until about mid-January and then I was like wait a second I love Star Wars. Like, even if it's bad, I still love Star Wars. Star yeah. Wars still means so much to me. And then, like, in February, I was like, no more, no more hate, only love. <laughs> and it's worked. And I was just like, I had to choose, like, what I loved. And I knew what I loved. And I knew what parts of it I loved and what I wanted to pick and choose. And I just went with it. I don't understand the concept of just dwelling on the hate. It's not healthy. It's really toxic. And yeah. I wish that people could find that peace and I've made so many people mad talking about my own experience of looking for what I actually genuinely loved and kind of letting go of my resentment and my hate um like really bad responses to it I know but it's not healthy for you to keep that like anger and lash out at everybody who has a differing opinion like just chill (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and again uh those choices I mean a lot of it I've said on this show we say online a lot is that if you really love Star Wars, you know, you have to love and, and apply the lessons of Star Wars a lot of the times on a really grand scale for like social issues and, and where you mm-hmm. stand in terms of acceptance and things like that and what's okay and what's not. But also personally, like being able to choose um, those those themes of of light and of, of like inner peace and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Qui-Gon, Master and Apprentice, you know, I, I turn toward the light because it's there. Um, going toward uh, somebody like I believe it's Skier in A Test of Courage. It's like the choice, the choice, you know, is, is every day. Like every day you have to make this choice. Like he's not going to, no one's going to fall because of, you know, one tantrum or, or one, <laughs> one, one traumatic day. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's the, it's the, the bad day is deliberate. Um, the, the path to the dark side is deliberate rather. So yeah, it, it's interesting. But uh, talking again about, about about your acting, you know, before we end up just sort of pontificating on the fandom forever, because that could go on. Uh, and as much as I love the fandom, <laughs> sometimes I just uh, want to leave it alone. Um, yeah. But talking about um, the performances and stuff and your, how your experiences have changed things, what do you think is drawing you into Star Wars nowadays in terms of acting, in terms of, of the filmmaking? Um, having now been an industry professional and, and, you know, being, um, you know, now intimately sort of involved with, especially like your experience on Wonder Woman, you know, doing a month of work on something with that much money behind it. Um, how has it sort of changed the way that you, that you watch, what kinds of things are you noticing? What performances stick out to you? Let's talk a little bit about sort of like your, your, your viewing now. It is so hard to watch television and movies without thinking about the process and like watching, especially like if I've just been on a set, I can't watch TV, quote unquote, right for like a week or two 
because I'm just thinking about like all of the people behind the camera and you know, are they running late for lunch? And like, oh, you know, you can see this was two different takes. The hair is a little bit different. Yeah. You know, it's really hard not to notice those things. But, you know, now that I'm like a year removed from the last time I was on set, um, just just wild after like three years of being on set like every other day. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to see how television and film has evolved. And I really love The Mandalorian because The Mandalorian has recaptured so much of what I loved about like 90s and early 2000s television, especially sci-fi. And it's so interesting to see, um, I mean, the same conversations coming up with WandaVision, people being like, it's too slow. And I'm like, oh, how we've lost the ability to watch television because we're so used to streaming. And I actually don't like streaming. I like I'll binge watch things like New Girl or Parks and Rec or The Office, like familiar properties, but I hate binging new TV shows. And it also drives me crazy that people will binge an entire show and then just spoil the whole entire plot. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. have time to watch 12 hours of television. Um, I'm currently working my way through a screener for a TV show and it's like 11 episodes and they're hour long episodes. And I'm like, I can't watch all of this in like one sitting. I have to like take a day in between them to process. And so it's so nice with The Mandalorian and the way they release it weekly that they're short, like 30-minute episodes that remind me of like Hercules and Xena and Andromeda and Star Trek and like these short stories that build into something larger. And it's kind of exciting to know where they're going with like the Ahsoka and the New Republic and like all of these shows and how they'll, they'll culminate into something that kind of all fits together. And that's so similar to like your crossovers and like playing around with stuff from like my glory days of television watching. Um, and so that to me is really exciting as a creator because when I'm like writing pilots or writing like ideas, I feel like I'm so beholden to this concept of streaming and that's not how television works for me. I like having these more like beginning, middle, end of an episode mm -hmm. and not having to immediately tie into the next episode. And so The Mandalorian has definitely been like the best creative work that I've seen in probably 10 years, just because it's, it's going back to something familiar. And obviously people are feeling the same way since, you know, it just got nominated for a Golden Globe. Yep. Um, you know, people are re reacting to that. And I'm hoping that with what Disney Plus is doing with all of their shows, it seems that maybe we'll have a shift back to this more serialized weekly adventure of the week feel. Yeah, I think that you touched on something really great there, which is the advantages of streaming versus the negative things that streaming is doing to the to the medium and to consumption. Because when Mandalorian season one was first coming out and they had made the announcement up front that this is going to be weekly drops and not a, a binge a bingeable piece. Um, a lot of people resented that decision, but I immediately was like, it's brilliant. It's a, it's brilliant business because you stay at the forefront of the conversation for two months and, and you are, you're capturing the eyes and ears of America and the world as, you know, America controls a lot of the entertainment journalism conversation, especially with like digital. So you're, you're no one's going to forget you in the same way. Like, you know, I mentioned stranger things earlier, or maybe that was off air. I don't know. Uh, but, <laughs> but we were talking about stranger things uh, in some capacity and that's a show that I adore. I love stranger things, but you talk about stranger things for like 72 hours and then it's gone. 
mm-hmm. and people forget about it until it comes back again. And that's not an ill will thing, but it's, that's just how it happens. Game of Thrones being weekly allowed that to build into the phenomenon that it was for the better part of a decade. And, you know, and, you know, feelings in the last season, notwithstanding it, it still has that sort of, you know, it got its final bow at SAG and at the, at the globes and everything. And people looked at that in the same way they look at like a breaking bad or a Sopranos and that premium mm-hmm. TV. And even though what you're talking about is more of like the network adventures, um, your, your track, your, your angel, all that stuff. Um, even your dark angel or your alias or whatever it's going to yeah. be. All of that stuff, um, you know, sort of led into that golden age era. And, but acknowledging those and not wanting to um, get away from them is, I think, part of the bravery of what John Favreau and Dave Filoni have done with their show. Because it felt like when people realized that binging was a thing, they were like, oh, we can make 13-hour movies. Yes. But the problem is, no, let movies make movies. Mm-hmm. you should make TV. You should make the best TV that you can make, which is part of the brilliance of something like WandaVision being a tribute to TV. Cause it was Kevin Feige. He said, like, I think him telling us like with a comforting blanket, like uh, a princess Leia blanket on the Falcon. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to make television. Like this is not going to be the seven hour Loki movie or, or anything like that. Like this is mm-hmm. still, this is serialized storytelling and it's, it's not, there's no shame in that. You know, the Mandalorian has sort of reclaimed, I think, uh, like you're saying, like a, like a bygone era of TV in a lot of ways, which is really exciting. So it's cool when you see like, you know, A, your, your veteran actors in it, like, like a Michael Bean. Um, but it's also cool to see sort of like these small players that are, oh, is that, is that oh, oh, Timothy Oliphant's going to be in this season. Wow, I remember Deadwood. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's never had like a major movie franchise. He's not really a household name but he's such a TV veteran name that everybody was like, wow. Like, and sort of that sort of, you know, cowboy and a cowboy tips the hat to that entire sort of tradition uh, as well. So that, that's, that's exciting stuff. So I, I feel like really like, a, a, just talking to you a greater appreciation now for those, those times, you know, like we look back mm-hmm. on it, uh, like, you know, you and I are both like, like Buffy verse people, things like that. It's just, it doesn't get it to do, you know, like people look, people say network TV with, with a, with, with a patronizing tone, but like that stuff was so important. It was. And that was something, you know, just to talk about WandaVision for a second. I love that part of the WandaVision. Um, I didn't get it, the press packet. Unfortunately, I didn't get the press packet, but I know people who got that big press box. And one of the things was a TV guide with them on the cover of it. Hmm. And I thought that was so awesome because I always reminisce about TV guides and how you could not find out that a show you loved was canceled if you missed a TV guide issue. Because back in the day, there wasn't like reliable internet you know, journalism about what's going on in the entertainment industry. And so a show could get canceled. You think that it's just on like hiatus and then you never see it again. And then years later, you're like, oh, that got canceled. Huh. That's what happened because all of your news was like in a TV guide. And so I loved that little like homage to, you know, the glory days of television. Yeah. In my opinion, I, I very nostalgic for everything from that, that era that I grew up watching. Yeah, I think there, there was a lot of gold there, a lot of underappreciated stuff um, and stuff, you know, to segue into sort of this, uh, this more personal and, and favorites conversation. Uh, there was a lot of, of great TV acting back then that mm-hmm. was written off as just TV acting. 
um, we one thing that has been great about about the streaming age is that we've pretty much annihilated that barrier. It's so nice. I mean, we've had. I mean, you know, problematic uh, revelations about Kevin Spacey aside, he sort of was the one that kicked down that that door first. And it was like Kevin Spacey's doing Netflix. That's the thing that sends you DVDs, right? Uh, and and what they were able to do uh, with Robin Wright, obviously finishing it out. Um, Breaking Bad was television, but it was also garnering sort of that same attention for Cranston. And then we see everybody's doing TV. I mean, you yeah, go on, like, ne- you go Nicole on Netflix. Kidman's on everything now. Nicole Kidman. I mean, Drew Barrymore. I mean, all these Hugh people. Grant. Hugh Grant. Yeah, and all you know, all these people that are that are wanting to be a part of it, um, that want to jump in and sort of, and sort of take hold of, again, that, that opportunity, that new cycle, be able to stretch, do different genres. So I want to talk to you now, sort of like, we've got your, your fandom origin. We got some early stories. Um, we've talked about the fandom, but now like the nitty gritty stuff, which is sort of what you do on, on let's talk about star Wars. You know, you answer fan questions um, you talk about sort of the storylines, you talk about the books and everything like that. You talk about your love um, for things like like Rogue One, which I know is your favorite of the yeah. Star Wars films. Um, so let's talk about, we'll start at, at acting because that's where we're coming out of. And then we'll head sort of into to some other stuff. Um, what are the best, or not best, what are your favorite uh, acting performances in Star Wars that inspire you creatively? Oh, man. You know, I I know that he gets really bad like flack for his performances in the prequels, but I really do love Hayden Christensen's performance because Anakin is so dramatic. And that's just, I mean, to get to Darth Vader, you have to have this kind of like high drama, I hate sand. And like the prequels have this like charm of having cheesy dialogue, which I still love as an adult. It's not just a kid thing. Um, and I think that he did really well with a lot of, really extreme emotions i mean you have like his mother dying you have the whole thing with padme you have his you know connection to obi-wan and like all of this stuff that's going on and i have always loved his performance i am also a darth vader girl so it's not really a surprise but i just i've always liked his performance and it kills me when people make fun of him because he is another one of the the actors that were like i'm gonna retire to a farm because star wars fans are terrible um and he's, he's great. Um, I also love Diego Luna's performance in Rogue One. Um, I got to write an article over on Dork Side of the Force um, about why the character of, of Cassian Andor means so much to me. Um, and I love his performance and I love the like honesty that he gives to that role. And you just, you feel so much for these characters in such a very short period of time. So I'm excited to see how that's going to be expanded on with Andor and seeing more of that backstory because he's a brilliant actor. And then, you know, of course, um, Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian, there's so much going on and not just Pedro, but the, all the other people who are in the helmet mm-hmm. and lending their performances to creating this singular, you know, character um, is really fascinating to me. And just knowing that there's so many different people that go into that, that one performance. Um, and the way they work together to make sure it looks like the same person in there at all times, um, which is just fascinating to me, you know, logistically. And thinking about like, who's there for doing stunts and who's there for doing, you know, scene double. And that character 
exudes so much emotion despite never seeing his face until recently. And in those, those rare moments that you do see his face, there's so much nuance, I'm gonna use that word again, um, yeah. you know, subtleties to the performance. So you definitely, uh, let's just put it out there, Maggie. Let's just put it on front street right now. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you have a thing for the, for the tortured, for the tortured soul. Uh, as we talk about Anakin, Dinjar, and Cassie and Andor, you know, these are men that are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. So what are some of the moments that, that made you engage with this particular, not that they are the same, I'm not going to put them in a box and say they're the same because they're, they're vastly different men and vastly different performances, but you know, I, for example, for Anakin, I always go to, you know, the Revenge of the Sith, the swan dive into evil. That is the tear looking out across the city. Natalie yes. Portman's on the other side. It's just John Williams and the actors. And it's so good. And it might be the best thing George ever directed is just just the two of them crying um, mm-hmm. in their respective locations. So what are some of those moments that that, in, in you know, enthralled you? as a younger Star Wars fan, or even now that you revisit that make you appreciate the tortured quality, the acting, everything. Um, Cassian's got some great ones. And of course we're fresh off Mandalorian, or you can even bring in another character, but what, what sticks out to you as like, that's it. That's the stuff. Oh, I think with Cassian, there's the moment when he has to shoot the guy because he realizes like, you're not getting out of this. I might as well just like put you out of your misery before they, they catch us. Um, you see so much in his eyes and that like very brief moment. It, I think it happens in like less than 40 seconds, mm. but you see so much of that, that this is the weight I carry. This is like the, the, the role that I have essentially been forced into because of circumstances, but it's also the role that I, I consciously make the de- decision to be in every day. Yeah. And I think, you know, something that I love so much about Rogue One is, is the way that these characters know they're probably not going to be making it out, but it's that greater contribution to the cause. And I think his character, physically, you can see it like weighing him down in some of the scenes. And that just, you know, goes to Diego's abilities as an actor to convey so much um, in very small moments. And I'm all about small moments. It's like something that I'm so consciously like aware of when I'm doing my own screenwriting is trying to make those little moments where the actors have the ability to bring what they have, their own unique experiences and lend them to the characters to give them life. And so I always say that, that Cassian is the one that has so much of those moments, especially yeah. when he interacts with Jen and like just how he communicates is much more physical because again, it, there's not a lot of dialogue. It's not like a big like monologue movie yeah and he he, you're right about that that cassian is so reserved until um you know when he's when he speaks it matters Mm -hmm. you know he's he's one of those those very economical characters that and same with dinjarin like you're anakin kind of mouths off a lot um (laughs) yeah but you (laughs) that's that sky guy won't shut up sometimes but uh these guys um you know i go back to the rogue one trailer the line that made me immediately love Cassian before the movie was even out was make 10 men feel like a hundred. Mm-hmm. And when he says that, you know, his, his personal having always been in war, his contextualizing and, and Diego's performance of how you inspire and like how they can become an overwhelming force and how they can, they can make a difference. Like how he was the one to sort of convey that 
um, to Jin because him and Jin are doing this this balancing act of needing to elevate the other, you know, mm-hmm. through, through their bond. Um, I thought was really great. I think Felicity um, and Mads Mikkelsen in the message scene oh, gosh, is is just it's just so good. I mean, there's obviously two top tier performers, but that entire thing of you know, unless they had Mads stand there to give her something to work with, I don't know. I haven't seen behind the scenes of that, um, nor do I think we ever will because of the situation with the Rogue <laughs> One shoot. Um, but I don't know what, but if, if Felicity was just standing there reacting and they were just like playing her the recording or something, but she is unreal good. So good. Uh, in that scene. And I think that she gets, um, not flack, but she, I think she does get a little bit overlooked in terms of, Daisy Ridley and and Amelia Clark and you know uh, Kelly Marie Tran like a lot of the Star Wars women get tons of love and like whole you know fandoms around them, um, but you don't really see a lot. You see Jin fans, but you don't really see a lot of people that are like Felicity Jones. Like maybe and I've loved Felicity Jones for yeah. a really long time. She was in Northanger Abbey mm. um, years ago, and Northanger Abbey is my favorite Jane Austen. I love Catherine Moreland, so I was so excited when my favorite like Austen heroine was going to be in Star Wars. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. I love that. Um, Okay, so let's 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 do let's do the Rogue One conversation uh, because we could we could spend forever doing acting moments and maybe we should at some point and just just do an entire list because I mean just thinking about like we we I mentioned Daisy I mentioned Kelly I mean mm-hmm. Adam Driver Ewan McGregor Liam Neeson Harrison Ford like my God Carrie Fisher I mean the the amount of people Donnie Yen like Donnie Yen will come up now in this conversation because I, I want to talk about Rogue One. Um, and, and talk about Rogue One with you specifically because it is your favorite and because it's the modern Star Wars movie that I struggle with the most. We have inverse experiences with this movie, which is interesting. Yes. And not that I, I don't think I dislike Rogue One as much as you dislike Skywalker, <laughs> but uh, I would never say that because I, I don't dislike it, even though I say something about it sometimes people are like, you hate Rogue One. That's not true. Um, but... It is the one where I I left Rogue One going, hmm. Mm. So that's what the standalones are going to be. Like, it was a contemplative and weird viewing for me. And so I want to know what your initial Rogue One experience was like, having now been... Because, again, you're a Star Wars fan. You've been a Star Mm -hmm. Wars fan for a long time. It comes back. It takes over the world again. I mean, it was a magical time. And instead of just going... 789 they did i think the wise move of putting something in there to let it breathe um mm-hmm. they could have I just agree. made nothing but you know we want to do something uh standalones was a good move unfortunately um it didn't work out but we're getting tv now so they kind of saved it but the rogue one experiment was so interesting because i mean i had friends parents asking me like so did they recast the british girl from the first one is are we are we gonna find out who her parents are now? Like people really didn't have a concept of what this was. So I found myself explaining it a lot back then. So talk to me about the build to Rogue One. Obviously, you were already on board for a lot of these casting choices mm-hmm. and uh your your viewing experience and how that went and why the Vader scene uh rocked your world as a Vader <laughs> fan. <laughs> oh, that scene was magical. Um, So I'm always really aware of why Rogue One is my favorite film and why it is a comfort film for me. Um, It was all about timing. Um, 
that movie came out right around um, the 2016 election. Uh, and heard of it, heard of it. Yeah, that, that interesting <laughs> time. And I, I came out of Rogue One and I was like, I have to do something. Like I have to get active, like active and trying to make the world a better place. Um, and I felt, I honestly, I, I came out feeling like I was Jen and I was like, oh, I have this like privileged position and I don't use it for anything. Um, and so it, it kind of changed me as a person. And I actually ended up getting really active in politics, like right after that and being like, okay, well, I guess I need to start like using my mouth for something and speaking up. And I guess Rogue One just like hit me in the right like weak spot. And I watched it so many times. I am not speaking like over exaggerating when I say I've watched it like over 300 times. Um, whenever I am like feeling disappointed in the world, I put Rogue One on and it like gives me purpose again. And so like, I feel like for me, Rogue One is more than a Star Wars movie and it's more than a Star Wars standalone. It's like something of an experience for me. So I'm always like very aware of that when I'm like approaching it because it's very personal in a weird way. Um, but coming out of it, I just, I felt so excited about the prospect of what standalone movies were going to be like, that they are these isolated stories that added on to what we already knew and kind of further expanded the universe. And anytime the universe can be expanded with new characters, I'm excited. Um, and I, I loved that everybody died, um, which sounds so macabre, but- <laughs> No, I did too, it was, it was bold. It worked. And I love, I love when creators go there and they're yeah. like, it can happen because they could have easily left them all alive at the end mm -hmm. um, and then explained a way that they are were working somewhere else and that's why you don't see them in the original series um, and it just worked for me and you know on later rewatches I, I noticed more of the like the issues because there are definitely issues with the film from how production happened um, but I don't, I don't notice them like intentionally. I like, I'm aware of them, but I'm more focused on these, the characters that I love. And I love the entire cast. And I'm also a huge Saw Gerrera fan. Mm. So I loved, <laughs> I loved having his character on screen. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. There's a lot, there's a lot there that I love. I love sort of the, the real world connection because a lot of that, I mean, that is why we, we love these stories is because it's when they find you, you know, I mm -hmm. go to, I go to Star Wars Rebels in a lot of the uh, for a lot of the similar reasons um, that you're talking about Rogue One about that that personal inspiration and where that hits you. I mean, the Rebels finale um, hit me right after you know a very messy situation. I lost a job. You know, I was down on my luck and everything. But seeing those characters rally, you know, was reminded me of of a lot of like my potential and like what I could do, and that I you know I didn't have to take it lying down. And, you know, on that grand scale of, of the country and everything, Rogue One sort of was, you know, people forget sort of like how those things sort of lined up. Mm -hmm. And especially with it being, you know, not just any villain, like Rogue One was about the Empire, like it was about the main story. And I think that one of the, the masterful moves of that film is going into it, we were all like, so is, what, is this like a, like a week before A New Hope? Like, no. <laughs> hours like we did not realize that it was going to literally stitch into the opening scene uh in that way so that was exciting um interesting that the movie sort of has this uh you know the whole jetta sequence and the looming sort of specter of the history of the galaxy and of the force even though it's not intimately a force story um 
but you have sort of like Charity Way and Baze Malbus there to remind the audience of that until the mm-hmm. audience like they're like gently sort of like you know you know hey you remember remember the force and then vader comes out of nowhere and he's like hey remember the force all right <laughs> you idiot um so, so t- talk to me about sort of the the difference between a force story for you and a non-force story is there is there is, it, is there any truth to the observation that maybe you prefer sort of soldiers and scoundrels to to the sword and sorcery of it all or do you sort of not have a preference. I think I just like human stories. And I think that's why Rogue One is so interesting because you have, you know, essentially this girl that's grappling with the legacy of her father. You have Cassian, who's kind of like an orphan of war, essentially, who's like been hardened by experiences that he has no control over. And you have, um, you just have all of these like very human experiences, but it's set to something much larger. And I, I do like stories that don't have the force at the forefront of course you can't escape the force and the jedi um and the dark side um in a star wars story um mm-hmm. you know i i loved the mandalorian went there and connected in it into that i know a lot of people didn't want <laughs> the force and jedi and the dark side to be brought up but like it's in the middle of a period of time that we know have that you know story going on as a backdrop and so i like when it starts with more of this, the human, the, the real people, and then it pulls it back into like, hey, this is still Star Wars. The force is still here. There's mm-hmm. still this battle against light and dark because um, that's like the core of what Star Wars is, but it's also this human story. Yeah, yeah. I love that answer. Human stories um, and in terms of how this is all sort of like the great metaphor for the things that we're all going through i mean to make it really um timely for right now you and i just both read uh, daniel jose older's um debut issue of the higher public adventures and my first takeaway and i, and I tweeted this to daniel because i i was just i was shocked that i had that star wars hadn't touched it yet because it just feels like the kind of thing that it would have done and you get a little bit of, a, of it with ahsoka and anakin but this series is already the human story of mm-hmm. the challenge of gifted kids and gifted kid anxiety and how you know this protagonist lula talisola like has all the tools and is the best and is the the prodigy sort of padawan i mean after vernestra who is actually a prodigy um but you have you know she's i'm the best duelist you know i'm the best learner i understand all of these things i should be ready for everything but i have this crippling fear that things are wrong. And then you flip that and you go over to Zine, who is, I have this great potential. You know, she has sort of that, that L Stranger Things theme, that, that sort of classic sort of like Stephen King carry, like the, mm-hmm. the oppressed girl, the power inside of the girl sort of thing. And like, that could be destructive, that could be grand. And so there was like all this stuff already happening in one issue that just sort of like, gave me that like jolt like i never fall out of love with star wars ever but i do have my days where i'm like oh star wars but then i have like oh yeah like that's why you know that's mm-hmm. why i keep coming back is all of that stuff and i love what they're doing with the high republic because we're seeing so many different kinds of jedi that aren't just these epic space wizards that are like fighting that they're more cerebral and they're more um nuanced i'm just gonna keep using that word they have they interact with the world 
entirely differently. I felt like so many of the Jedi that we've seen previously were kind of the same and they kind of all fell into this like unison form of being Jedi. Um, but then you have like with Claudia's book, you have a character that's like, actually, can I just stay inside? There's insects. I Can I just stay in the library and like do the archives work? I don't want to be a Jedi that goes out and like fights. And I love that there's so many different kinds of like experiences and that, that's yeah. what has me the most excited about the high republic because it's so different and the characters are so different um and yeah. my favorite and daniel's is frizala um <laughs> who was yeah. not in it nearly enough but i saw that character design last february and i was just like that's the one that's gonna be my favorite little guy right there <laughs> yeah his adorable big cat bat ears and just his ponytail high top pony yeah he just oh, i love the Darians. Uh, yeah he's great i was uh, so just, excited to see because that that those characters were so bad in um clone wars clone wars yeah um and rebels too they pop up in rebels as well so i love especially like the traditions and like all these different characters getting to be jedi that have previously been like the bad guys in the story yeah yeah, and so so uh, talking about High Republic and and you know coming out of the Rogue One conversation, um, what are your other favorite Star Wars stories that you keep going back to? Um, your favorite comic book arcs, your favorite books? Um, is are there episodes or arcs that that stick out to you from certain? I mean, you and I talked about um, the Jedi together last time you were on the show, mm-hmm. and that that stands out to me as one of my favorite, you know, forty minutes forty minute slices of Star Wars um, already. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about more of those favorites before we start to wind down. Um, I feel like any of the Mandalorian stories um, from Clone Wars and from Rebels are my favorite. I am very fascinated by the Mandalorians, which is funny considering the only Mandalorian that we knew of really uh, when I was growing up was uh, you know Boba Fett and Jango Fett, which were not not my favorites until now. And now I'm like a Boba Fett fangirl, which is a strange revelation. <laughs> um occupies way too much of my thought process lately. Um, But I love the Mandalorians and I love the way they interact with each other and with, um, you know, their coverts and their, their care towards younglings and to children that, that otherwise might not have somewhere. Um, And I, you know, that's probably the anthropologist in me um, is very interested in any groups of people that, that come together that aren't born together. Um, so the, the Mandalorians are so fascinating to me and I love kind of revisiting those arcs because you, there's obviously characters that are very opinionated and those opinions are very prejudiced. And so it's interesting to see how those, those opinions are touched on in Star Wars because they're, they have very real world implications for you know, the idea of um, dysmorphia of like being from somewhere but not from them exactly with the help of Mandalorian yeah. Creed operates. Um, and yeah, any- all mech, you bastard. Oh, all mech. <laughs> That's a whole rant. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I think the Mandalorians are just super fascinating, and I'm hoping that there's more of that touched on um, in the next season of The Mandalorian or in the book of Boba Fett, because um, Boba Fett is a Mandalorian, regardless of what Twitter says. Um, and so it just, that's a, a storyline, and then you're like Satine and Bo-Katan, and Satine and Obi-Wan and like all of that is just really interesting to me Um, and just you know continues to build into this world of Star Wars 
Yeah. Yeah. I love everything that you just said. And, and again, one thing that you touched on there without doing the, the full on, uh, let's dunk on people on Twitter, because I could, I could do that for hours, but just the, uh, the, the disconnect, I think sometimes with fans is that they believe that what a character is saying is fact. Mm -hmm. The characters in star Wars, as I've said a bunch of times, don't know that they're in star Wars. Nope. You know, they are speaking from the limited perspective that has been given to them by the writer to present an idea. And sometimes you put in a character's mouth something that is wrong on purpose, you know, and or, or contradictory. Whereas, you know, prequel Obi-Wan says to, you know, Yoda and Mace Windu, like, is he not the chosen one? Is, should, is he not the one that will bring balance to the force? Then you flash forward to Twin Sons and he's telling Maul, Luke is the chosen one. You know, mm -hmm. you, you ask Mark Hamill and he says that him and Ryan Johnson believe that Luke believes that Ben Solo was the chosen one. And all these different perspectives, all these different perspectives on Mandalorians, like sometimes it's good that a character just thinks something that is incorrect. And we see how that permeates even to characters that we love way more than Almec, like Bo-Katan, who, who thinks that, you know, you're, you don't have a father, you got a donor, you know, which was one of the most savage moments in it Star Wars so history. Savage. <laughs> it was, and I loved it. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that it's was such, so rude. It's such a brutal, just rude, prejudiced <laughs> thing to say. Yeah. Oh, cancel book. It's a you problematic heiress, you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, yeah. I love characters that are problematic like that as well. Like my favorite character currently in the High Republic is um, Mark and Rowe who spit some straight up facts about the Jedi. Um, and I've already seen people that are like taking it wildly out of context. And I think it's because we're so predisposed to think of the Jedi as the good guys and that you can't possibly conceive them as maybe um, sticking themselves into positions they never should have been in and, you know, interfering with other cultures and other groups of people and other planets and, and not really contributing to them. It's, that's like so fascinating to me. And I loved you know, even if we never get any follow through with those concepts, I am very glad that they're being introduced because they are great conversation starters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, with Mark Rowe, who is fascinating and is such a good and different main Dylan. villain, uh, the, some of the stuff that he's saying, you can tell it's almost like, you know, Charles Soul being such a prequels uh, mm -hmm. redeemer, you know, like he includes prequel material, like his Vader run is just so phenomenal so for, for that type of stuff, uh, for that connected tissue. Mark Rowe, in a lot of ways, his rage is predicting what would happen to the Jedi 200 mm -hmm. years later. Like his criticisms of them come to a head when they are generals in a war that they had no business fighting. So it's like, it is already having the follow through. And, and as, we, as this era expands, it'll be interesting to see sort of how the Jedi are because I'm not, I'm not an anti-Jedi person. Like there are people that are like the Jedi are the real villains of Star Wars. You see that a lot on Twitter, and it's like you guys are that's such a reductive like look at me, look at me type tweet. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, but they're supposed to be like all institutions criticized because that's such mm -hmm. a George Lucas thing. And you know, George Lucas was always about people over institutions and about the organic versus the technical and all that stuff. And you studying anthropology, like you obviously have mm -hmm. a deeper understanding of, of the importance of people. Um, so I guess sort of the last uh, big question that I want to ask you is what's the star Wars story that has yet to be told that needs to be told. If, if it's either from your anthropology background or something personal, 
that you've experienced is, or, or is it something even lighter, more fun? Like we've got Taika Waititi coming up and I know that we expect this movie to be weird and grand and we know he can do grand. I mean, his Thor film and his, obviously another one and uh, chapter eight of Mandalorian. But I would even love to see Taika Waititi just do a dialogue only Star Wars movie. So, so yeah. talk to me about what you, what you want, you know, blue sky, blank checks. <laughs> Um, I've, I've always said that if, if I was ever given the opportunity to do a Star Wars, that I would love to revisit the concepts that Ryan introduced with Canto Bite. Um, mm. And I loved DJ and I love the concepts that DJ introduces. And so there's so much there about this profiteering, um, mm. you know, and the people who are hurt in the process. And, you know, we know from the comics about like Rose and Paige's background that they come from this mining planet that was stripped of its resources by the First Order. And there's so much there that hasn't really been touched on in full yet. And so I would love to do, you know, the grandeur of the upper class and the core worlds and how they're thriving and, you know, benefiting off of this oppression essentially and you know how that affects you know the underprivileged people and those that are being hurt by it and you know that's why I love the Canto Bite scene I know a lot of people I'm wearing my last Jedi sweatshirt today I know a lot of people dislike the Canto Bite scene but I think that in some extent it's because it it makes people think and sometimes those thoughts can be really uncomfortable because there mm -hmm. are there are definitely um, real world implications to the whole idea. Um, and that's why I love Ryan Johnson, because he's not afraid of touching on it. I mean, we see that with um, Knives Out. He likes those, those concepts. Um, and so that's something I, if I was given the opportunity, I would love to do like a TV series about that. And, you know, those darker, grittier, um, bad parts of Star Wars and the world. Um, I definitely have my opinions about the core world. <laughs> Maggie, Maggie's trying to adapt the GameStop story into. She's, she's trying to she's trying to tell a story about uh about about class disparity and and all that. No, I'm kidding, but but I'm I'm kidding and I'm not because you know the stuff about about class disparity and about um what are what's universal across morality uh, or across alignments rather um was some of the stuff I loved, of course, about the character of DJ. I mean his apathy is presented as the wrong point. I've always worded it as Rose is the angel of activism and DJ is the devil of apathy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they're both saying the same thing. This, yeah, this war is always going to happen, but Rose is saying, but if we can make any dent, then we should. Mm -hmm. And DJ is saying, look out for yourself because it's not going to stop. So they, they are the two sides of the same coin that Finn needs to choose between. Um, but DJ, DJ sort of has that that thing that a lot of good scoundrels and across lots of media or your villains have where it's like, he's got a valid point. Like, mm -hmm. he's not wrong about, about some of the stuff that he's saying, which is, you know, was what makes him such a compelling character, I think. So I love that pitch of, of really exploring those characters. And uh, yeah, you might have a little bit of like, a, you know, some, some action, you know, some, some, some sexy set piece scenes with maybe oh, yeah. like, a, like a master code breaker like you know return or some sort of oceans like a casino sort of moment mm -hmm. but but just having sort of the the people pulling the strings that are not sith lords i mean that's why i love love the character of dryden voss mm 
yes. um, is a because Paul Bettany is a gem and everything that he does, but because he sort of was like, yes, I am a, a vile monster and I I serve the same like function as like a job of the hut, but look at how I dress it up. Like look at <laughs> look look at look at look my at suit all of this and, rich richer. Yeah, like, you want some uh, colo clawfish? I, I believe it was like. Yeah, I mean, it, it, those characters are so fascinating and, and how they Star Wars plays with that morality and, and how the High Republic has introduced a little bit of that mm-hmm. with um, hints of some uh, of political strife yeah. and people potentially about to run against other people and how that sort of could be building in the background. So that stuff's uh, really exciting. Um, and I, I love that pitch. Oh, go ahead. Well, I always think about like the the disparity between the outer rim and the core worlds. Um, you know, our our favorite Omira lives out here in Sorgan, which is like essentially reminds me of like a you know 1500s like village that you know is farming krill and like the clothing is very simple, the experience is very simple. They live in huts. They they don't really have technology. And then you just, you know, a quick jump towards the core worlds and you have Coruscant that looks like this tremendous, like, capital city, basically, with skyscrapers and technology and flying, you know, flying cars and, you know, all of this stuff that there's such a disparity between the two. And I've never really seen it discussed so plainly in Star Wars before. And that's why I'm like, let me do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I always go to um, to Shmi Skywalker. Very mm-hmm. simple line. The Republic doesn't exist out here. You know, like that movie being such a such a, a, a gesture from George to the children of the 90s, um, those were bigger concepts, you know, for them. Oh, yeah. because, because kids can, can equate the Republic to, Oh, so he's like the president. Like you can make those one-to-one leaps. But when you have a character saying like the government is not here, you know, is such a important, uh, such an important wake up call for, for a lot of people, especially rural America. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's that, that perspective that, you know, nowadays we see such a, um, and, and, and rightfully so such, such a divide and, and a certain view of, of people in in rural America, uh, speaking very generally, of course, and and the divides between like coastal elites and things like that, uh, the stuff that gets thrown around a lot uh, in, in in discourse. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting to to see sort of the seeds of that, and all Star Wars needs to do, mm-hmm. like you're saying, is really hit it hard and capitalize on it with with one good story um, or series would be would be very interesting, and who knows, we would see. Uh, DJ again, someone who I, I would love to see again. I would love to and, see him again. <laughs> yeah, and other characters like that. I, I really want to see DJ um, as like a teen or like a 20-year-old in Mandalorian or something like that, like uh, oh, on, yeah. on a slicer job or something like that with his little hat. Uh, oh, oh yeah, hat. <laughs> I want that hat. It'd be fantastic. Um, yeah, this has been such a fun conversation, Maggie. This has been great. Awesome. This has been awesome. I, we've talked about a ton of stuff. There's still a ton more to talk about. I want to bring you back on for like a Rogue One commentary. Uh, we should we should sit. We should rec- watch the movie, record it. Oh yeah. Um, that'd be a lot of fun. We have to revisit so many of these topics. We got to talk High Republic. I've been waiting to cover High Republic on the show until um, well, now would be the time where I, I should get it going because I was waiting for each of the of the titles to drop. 
obviously the comics will keep dropping, but I wanted to do, you know, maybe like a two big two part discussion or something like that. And I'd love to have you come on for that. Um, do light of the Jedi and test of courage or, and then, you know, the comics and, and into the dark and a different one. So people listening, will figure all that stuff out, but thank you again so much for coming on. We're talking about yourself. Thank you. <laughs> um, just to, just to recap for everybody. I mean, we, we went all the way back to the beginning, um, and got your formative experiences with star Wars, how they influenced you as a creator, an artist, uh, a thinker really, you know, and, and an analyzer of these concepts, what you love, um, what works for you. And that's what I love doing on the show is that now we have a really, really complete picture sort of, of your, your fandom experience, which has been very cool. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, especially on, on that old Twitter that we should probably <laughs> quit, but we won't. You can find me on Twitter at Maggie of the town. I am also on YouTube at let's talk about star Wars. You can find me at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash let's talk about star Wars. And I'm also over on the star Wars friends podcast, which you can find on Twitter at SW friends show. And what about your, um, your other podcast? Do you have a podcast that you host that, that deals with period pieces? Yes. Um, I also have a podcast with my best friend, Nicole, who is a film critic from North Carolina, where we talk about historical dramas from a history and film perspective. And that is Petticoats and Poppies. And you can find that over on name. Twitter at HDMTA podcast. Yes, it's, in the, my, it's in my bio link. So the history girls at the movies. Yes. Right. Okay, <laughs> yes. cool. I, I did remember that correctly. Look, yes. yeah, see, I'm so proud of myself. Uh, take your vitamins, kids. You'll remember things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's exciting. And again, you can, uh, Maggie's, all of Maggie's links will be down below. Uh, so you can find um, where she's writing uh, on your money geek, uh, where, where you serve as managing editor, um, all of your stuff popping up there, reviews. Um, and that's movie reviews, book reviews, comic reviews. I mean, everything. <laughs> you, you really, you really do. Like you're, you're very prolific online uh, and, it, and it is very impressive. And I have no doubts that We'll see you popping up uh, on on a, on a StarWars.com or, or something else. One day, one day, uh, Star very, Wars Insider, StarWars.com. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Very, very soon, very soon, and and we'll talk off air about 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 some of that stuff in this uh, wacky internet world. Um, uh, but as for, as for me, as we as we wrap up the show, you can find me personally at ad underscore Strider, um, which is an Aragorn reference. Uh, I, I point point out to, to some people that that I know like Lord of the Rings. Um, AD underscore Strider or A period D period Strider on Instagram. You can find this show on all your podcast platforms at Octo Radio, A H C H T O Radio, everywhere you get your shows. If you want to scroll down, leave a review, leave stars. Uh, it really does help. And, and on Maggie's channel as well, if you want to leave a like, a comment, all that stuff helps us battle the evil of the algorithm, which for some reason just really likes hateful people that cry about things and then get upset about people pointing out that they may or may not have cried about a thing. I, don't know, I wouldn't know anything about that. Um, but yeah, definitely check out um, the, those little review sections. It does a lot to help the shows. Uh, and then you can also find me on the One and Done Film Club, the other podcast that I'm now a part of with uh, Nikki Kumar from the Imperial Senate podcast and Reed Devaney, host of the Battle Bubble, uh, the 2000s pop culture podcast. We've come together and we do this show now, One and Done, where we take every movie franchise that you love uh, we deliberate and we only talk about one installment of that franchise and do a commentary of it immediately right there on the spot, right as the debate ends. 
so the episodes are long, but you get to hear us pick apart a franchise, say this is what we're watching, and then we watch it. So it's it's exciting. We've done Indiana Jones and Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter will be out uh, at, when this episode's out. Harry Potter will be available. So as for right now, for me, for Maggie. For Cassie and Andor, and for all of those people on Canto Bite um, pulling the strings of society. Punch it, Chewie.